hello again. Glad that uh, you're all here. It's good to, good to be together. And I'm continuing a message series that we started a few weeks ago uh, called Hometowns. And the goal of this series is to look at how do we find community? What are the things that we need to do in our life to actually um, have relationships that God wants to use for our good? And we started the series looking at how community is something that we are actually made for. And the reason that we, we actually long for it is because of that. It's not something that we've just kind of decided is good. It's actually in the very fabric of how we're made. And so there's a pursuit that we all have in different ways to try to find how we can connect with others, to find how we can have meaningful relationships. But our role is actually not to be able to just come up with the best way to find community, but to actually follow what God has already established in his word to getting it. And that's really what you find is the Christian life, and that's what it's all about. It's, it's not just coming up with things within ourselves, theories or ideas or practices, but actually looking at what God's revealed to us in the scriptures and walking with God so that we know actually how to find the very thing that he wants us to find and how to do what he wants us to do. And so in community, it's the same thing. It's how do you live the life that God wants and how do you live on track with, with the life that, that's best for us? And you find that it actually is central to community. It's, it's actually not around it. You can't live an isolated life and experience the life that God wants. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to find that kind of community uh, and what that means for us as the church, because that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be a community of people who've knitted our hearts together, not for our own purposes, but to actually do uh, what God wants us to do. And so anytime... You talk about unity, uh, it can be kind of like a, an ideal that we have. Like we all want unity, it's something that sounds good. But unity is actually something that you have to work for. It's something that can sometimes take great pains, it takes sacrifices, it takes humility. And so we're not talking about the theory of community and the idea of it, but actually what are the, the pathways to finding it? And at times, what does that mean that we have to just deny ourselves and sacrifice in order to, to experience it. And so that, that's the backdrop uh, of this series. And today we're talking specifically about how to keep the unity uh, in the church community. And that rhymed, right? How to keep the unity in the church community. How, how does that actually happen? And today's message is called Fault Lines. And it's the idea of what do you do when this thing that we built and this community that exists, what do you do when things happen that you see some cracks. You see some maybe potential things that could kind of damage the community that, that God wants to, to build. I don't know about you, but we had an election this last week. Did you guys realize that? Too soon already? Like, too soon? But we, we had an election, and there's no like greater time to see the fault lines or division in our country after a vote. Because like any vote, people vote one way and another person votes another and actually, by the nature of a vote, unless it's unanimous, there's division. There's people that believe and think different things. And so we're at a time in our country where you can see the fault lines. You can see the cracks. You can see the different ideas and perspectives that people have. And then a country trying to come together to figure out, well, what, is that, what does that mean for us? And it can be very polarizing. And it can be very personal to us. It could also be something that could be threatening or fearful and the idea of this country in which we live, 
has some cracks in it. There, there's some, some issues and problems. So the rest of the message, I'm actually going to be talking about the church specifically. But because of what we have going on in our country, I just wanted to take the time to pray for unity in our country as well. Because there's a part of me that as you talk about the church and the specific uh, community we have here, we exist in this greater community of our country. And I don't want to just talk about the community in our church and fail to mention how we're connected to something bigger and how the people are actually of the country, people all around us in our classes, at our workplaces, if they know that you're a Christian, they are watching you. It doesn't matter if you want them to see you or not. They're seeing how you respond. They're seeing how you treat people. They're seeing how the church itself, the group of Christians that come together locally in different cities, what is the church doing? And so our our attitude and the steps we take are are important. So I, I just ask that you guys pray with me right now. Uh, for our country, and then we're going to launch specifically to talk about the community uh, here at Church in the Valley. Let's pray. God, ultimately, we thank you that you are in control. And you know everything, and you've seen everything. And because of that, uh, we know that you're not shaken or surprised or confused. Uh, You are actually completely steadfast. And because of that, God, we, we just look to you and we ask for, for just unity in our country as many people are trying to figure out how to move forward and, and what it means to relate to those different than us and all the different things that can come up in election season. Uh, it's so easy for us to think earthly and to think just about our own circumstances. But God, you actually have given us a relationship through Jesus Christ that allows us to think kingdom minded. You actually allow us in the midst of what we're going through to look at how do you want us to respond as kingdom citizens, not just people connected to this earth, but people that are awaiting the new life and eternity with you for all those that that follow you. And so, God, help us to have the right filter on our thoughts, on our actions, on our attitude. Help us to trust in you in a real way in the midst of the unknown. And so we, we just ask that you'll work in our hearts personally and then just bridge uh, the gaps and relationships that exist as well so peace may happen. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So like, like I mentioned, unity is vital for the community and wherever you find it. Uh, unity has to actually be real for a community of people to relate in a way that, that pleases God. And so I want to spend kind of the rest of the morning talking about the importance of unity in our church community and how do we actually take the steps personally to, to work to unity? How do we actually work and sacrifice so that unity in the church uh, can happen? And so uh, before I start this, I, I want to let you know, this is like full disclosure. Now, I'm going to share some, some stories of churches that have thought about different things. Now, this, these are not stories of church in the valley, and I'm very thankful But anytime you talk about unity, many times Christians have to raise their hands and say, you know what? We can be pretty petty people ourselves. We can be. We can fight about a lot of things in the church. We can fight about so many things. Now, we're blessed church in the valley. We actually have people that really do come together and we all have preferences. We all have different things that we want to see. But for the most part, like the pettiness is actually at a really small time low in church life. And I'm really thankful for that. But I I read this uh, tweet just this past uh, week, and it was titled, 25 Things Church Members Fight Over. 
And, uh, oh, sorry, it's actually from a year ago, but I just saw it this, this past week. And it kind of caught my eye based on what we're talking about in community. So you got people in the church trying to follow Christ and fights come up. And well, what, what could these fights be about? Where, well, here were some of, I wouldn't say highlights. Here are like some of the, the lowlights. Like these are really embarrassing, okay? A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, with two, three, or four drawers. This was actually a church fight, a filing cabinet. I'm not making that up. Like, this is actually real. You guys don't seem shaken at all by that. Um, This one actually kind of hits home. This is a petition in the church that was passed around to have all staff members clean shaven. That's not funny. Like, here, here's another one too. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. <laughs> like the, that just is very interesting. Like, let's put a picture of Jesus so we remember Jesus. But I don't want that picture of Jesus. Well, you got to have that picture. But I don't want it. Could you just imagine? Like, what does Jesus think about the picture of himself that's causing fights? You know, it's it, it's really interesting. But I say that because oftentimes when we talk about unity, again, it can be like this ideal. But here's the thing. All that I'm going to talk about today, I just encourage you, as I've been just trying to kind of talk to myself about, there are so many things that I am petty about myself. As I relate to people in my family, as I relate to coworkers, as I relate to family members, extended family, all the different people, there's so many things that I can be concerned and care about and actually, frankly, make, make us think about that I can make life miserable for those around me. I also, when I get into pettiness or my own preferences or what I really want, and I'm just looking for my own interests, I actually am not really on mission for God either. And so the things that we really care about sometimes, if they're not the things that God cares about, we can get really off track. And so all that I'm talking about today, I I just want you to think through, like, do you ever get to the point where you realize that you're... You sometimes are making big deals out of things that don't need to be a big deal. Are there things that you personally do that actually cause division in the relationships that you have? If you can think through that and think honestly, then this will make a lot of sense. But if you think of unity as just a distant idea, it's not going to really maybe make sense to your heart. So I encourage you just kind of on the front end, think about you and your own life and sometimes the things that you make a big deal about as you relate Uh, to a group of people. Okay. So I want to start looking at the scripture, but God in the scripture, he makes church unity a priority. So our mission is unhindered again, since unity or since community is important, unity is, is right along there with it. And so oftentimes in the scripture, again, again, as you read it on your own, as you kind of chew on it and you, you see how the relationships are happening in the early church, how they were trying to build Christianity in the new Testament and as you read the Old Testament and you see how they're trying to be the Israelites, the people of God, you can't get very far in the scriptures without seeing this importance of the people of God being unified together. And the reason that is, is you can't move forward in any team or any community without you working together. Without unity, you can't make progress in life. We, we know that. And the same is, is true uh, for the church. But I want to read a scripture in Philippians Uh, that that talks about this because it gives this sense of how do we get to the point where we actually are on the same page and the early church just like us today they have problems just like we have problems and this is something that paul wrote to 
to the church to specific to a group of people. And he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we have these two women that seem to be in some sort of argument, in some sort of fight. And it's come to the point where Paul, who helped start this church and he's helped trying to build this unity, is saying, like, I'm going to take time in my letter to address this fight that's going on. And so you see that this was something that's a big deal to the point where he's addressing it, knowing that this thing is probably going to be going on a long time. Because by the time they got the letter, by the time he's written, you know, you don't just send an email back in the New Testament day. It's, you send a letter and it's, it's just walked and on a camel and donkey and it takes a long time to get there. But he knew this is something that there's a conflict that is going to exist for a long time unless it's addressed. And so he says, I, they need to agree, uh, agree this entreat, like challenge, make sure they realize that this is crucial. They need to agree in the Lord. Help them to come to agreement. Help them to, to think the same thing. This word agree uh, in the, the Greek in which it was written means to see things from God's perspective. Here's just a highlight of how unity in the scripture is sometimes different than our own reflexes. Have you ever gotten an argument and you ask yourself or in your mind you think, I wish they would just agree with me. Have you ever said that? I know I have. I think this wouldn't be a fight. This wouldn't be a conflict. We wouldn't be on different pages if they agreed with me. Right? My relationships go tremendously well if everyone agrees with me. And yours is probably the same. But this word agree isn't that you see it how I see it or I see it how you see it. It's actually let's both see it how God sees it. So the agree here is talking about what is God's perspective on the matter. And we actually don't know specifically what the feud was really about. We don't know if it was a huge deal, if it was something that seemed kind of small, but whatever it was, it's something they held on to. And there was a rift in the church. And Paul's saying, I entreat you, I challenge you, I encourage you. Use the effort that you have to help these women agree, to get on the same page. And to get on the same page by seeing things from God's perspective. So if you are interested in community and experiencing real unity, that is people being on the same page, you actually can't just have that from seeing things your own way. You can't even just have that from seeing things from someone else's perspective. You actually have to get to know what God says are priorities in life. You actually need to live your life in line with that. You need to know what he says about Treating people a certain way. You need to know what he says about what's true and what's, what's false. What's important, what's not. What are things that we need to hold on to? These things are crucial. What things do we need to let go of? Because that forms what he's revealed in his word, the truth. That forms what we're supposed to see based on. That's the lens in which, in which we're supposed to look through. His perspective. Uh, there's another scripture written by Paul, the same author. And what I appreciate about Paul is he started these churches... And he's written a lot of the books in the New Testament. But what you find from his letters to these churches is he was not checked out. He was engaged and he was really trying to help them figure out what it means to be Christians 
in a time where it was easy to be divided. And so his instructions are saying, come together, team up, be on mission. And here's something he said to another group in, in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This actually has a similar echo to the, the passage I just read. The agreeing is based on the name of the Lord. So again, you agree based on God's perspective, but you're also under the authority ultimately of God himself. And so there's a sense in which we're unified under Christ. He's the one that brings us together. It's not anybody else. It's not somebody who has an agenda. It's not somebody who has all the power or all the control. For Christians, we actually unify under Jesus Christ first and foremost. He is our ultimate leader. And then he works through the leaders that he puts in place. But ultimately, we unify under his name. And you actually have to choose uh, to do that. The word agree here is similar. It means to speak the same thing. And this is the idea. Not only in the passage before do you need to see things from God's perspective, but unity here means you actually need to be on the same page in, in what's really important. So you have to know what God says is important and see his perspective. And then agree here is, is this idea of like, we are going to adopt it. We're actually going to speak the same thing. What's really important to Jesus is going to be important to me. And what's really important to Jesus is going to be important to you. And there's this unity that comes because God has given freedom to all. Nobody can be forced to follow Jesus. He's given us freedom. But as we choose to follow Jesus and we use our will and the way he's made us to be, to actually live life according to his plan, there's a tremendous amount of unity from free people choosing to follow Christ and actually choosing his preferences over their own. There's no other unity that can exist that has that same beautiful picture of free people who see things from God's perspective. There's another passage also written by Paul, and I want to write this just so you can kind of see this theme through the New Testament. This is Romans 12:16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. So you see this harmony has the same idea of the agree. It's, it's, you're seeing things a certain way. Harmony here is to have the same mind. You actually have the same mind. I don't know about you, but what's promoted is free thinking, right? But Christians, there should, have, there should be a sense in which our goal is not to be a completely independent person that says things and does things different than anyone else ever. There's a part of us, like in our world today, like independence trumps mostly everything. Being an independent person, being self-sufficient. But for the Christian, that actually is not as important as obeying Jesus Christ. And having the same mind, there's a sense in which people should see Christians and say, man, you guys all think the same kind of thing. You all kind of care about the same stuff. And there's a part in us that's like, how dare you say that? But what Paul's saying is that that's a complement of unity. People that are on the same page going after the same thing. But it's, again, not based on our own agendas. It's based on as we see things from God's perspective. 
He allows us to speak the same thing and have the same mind. So there's this group of people, Christians, that God has put in the world to move together to accomplish his purposes. That's what unity is. That agreeing and that harmony, that's what unity is. And so I want to encourage you, first and foremost, wherever you kind of are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want to know what God wants in the world, you have to start with reading the scriptures. If you want to see things from God's perspective, that's how you know. You have to read the Bible. And it's something that you have to do regularly. You have to force yourself as you wake up with all the different things that you have and all the emails that classes and business meetings and trips and all sorts of stuff. There has to be a place in which if you really want to know what God wants in the world and how he wants Christians to act, you have to read the Bible. Period. Because there's no way that we can have the same mind or agree or see things from God's perspective if we don't take the time to read the scriptures. So again, that's where the rubber hits the road. Community and unity is not an idea. It's actually something that comes from taking the time to know what God wants and then to be a group of people that do it together. That's what God wants in the church. And so as you commit your life to follow Jesus, you can actually experience unity and community that you cannot experience in the same way anywhere else. That's because as you follow Jesus, you, you get new life. And you now have resources that you've never had. And you're connected to God who gives you power that you've never had access to. I don't know about you, but I can't bring about unity in my own relationships. I can't fix people. I can't even fix myself. I wake up and I do the same things I've always done. And I relate to people that they always kind of do the same things they've done. But I get to a point where over time, as I just stop trying to fix myself, when I stop trying to fix others... God changes me. And that's what he wants to do with you. He changes from the inside out. And that allows us to have community. So I want to shift gears and I want to talk. What does that mean for me and you? If this seeing things from God's perspective and having the same mind and speaking the same thing, if that's what God wants the church to be and how he wants us to exist, what does that mean for us uh, practically? So I want to kind of shift gears to what's my role in protecting the unity of the church. How can I be an active participant in being a part of this unified group of people? And I want to go back to a passage that I read earlier in Romans. Um, but before I do that, I want to talk about a passage in First Corinthians. And I'm going to actually have you guys cross out something that's on your handout. Now, you may have read a handout before and crossed it out of your own accord. I just try not to look, right? But you today, based on my instruction, I want you to cross out something. So if, if you're following along on the handout, this will make sense. If you're not, the screen is fixed. But on your handout, there's a point that says make unity, I think, in Christ my number one goal. Does yours say number one? Okay, cross out number one. Doesn't that just feel kind of liberating? When I was doing this, the overall umbrella, I was thinking like, yeah, in unity, you've got to make unity your number one goal. But actually... Unity is never the number one goal. And that's a mistake. And so I don't want you to leave here thinking like, well, it's all about unity. Unity is one of the highest priorities in the church. But it's not the number one goal. The number one goal is to actually glorify God. It's to actually do what he wants. And there's times to glorify God may mean that unity cannot happen. 
So if you make unity your number one goal, it might mean you don't make glorifying God your number one goal. But that number one is in there. It shouldn't be in there. But it's an important distinction. But because you cross that out, I don't want you to just cross out unity and just say, ah, let's talk about something else. This is still important. Okay, but does that make sense? It can't be the number one. Because sometimes in the name of Jesus, there may be things that there might not be unity in because we have to please him above everything else. Okay, so that makes sense. I'm going to move forward. But once you cross that out, it makes sense. And on the screen, you see, make unity in Christ my goal. If I just had a PowerPoint, you would have never known. But we print stuff. Now there's a record of it forever. Okay. Uh, First Corinthians 10. I want to read this and you'll kind of get the same flavor that that I've been reading from earlier. It says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Does it go on there? What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul is writing this letter and what's happening in the early church is God is raising up leaders that are helping people learn what it means to follow Christ. And he does that today, just like he did then, just like he's done throughout history. God works through the leaders that he puts in place. Paul is one of these leaders. And as you've read, he's had this profound impact on the early church. And what he was noticing, though, is that people were starting to follow and put their loyalty in leaders above Christ. And what's so interesting is that Paul is one of these leaders. And so he could have taken a tremendous power play and said, I hear some of you follow Paul and Cephas. I don't know who those guys are, but you know me. That would have had a little bit different flavor, right? He was one of the leaders in which people were putting loyalty to. And he said, like, that's not who we follow. That's not who came into the earth to save us. That person is Jesus. And is he divided? No. He is the one that that we follow. And so Paul is saying that over all the unity that exists, we have to be unified under Jesus Christ. It's not over any one leader or any idea. It's actually under Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one who is worthy of our ultimate loyalty. And he is the only one that paid the price for our sin. So that is due him and him alone. That's why when the Bible says his name is above all names, it's speaking to the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And the only way that division can be undone and people can experience peace, lasting peace, is through Jesus Christ. There's no other man or institution that can cause that to happen. And that's what Paul's saying. And I'm sure there's a part of him who's like, you know, he appreciated the people that loved him, that were thankful for his his investment. But he said that that cannot be the focus. Unity is under Jesus Christ. And as a church, that's what we want to make a big deal always. Every Sunday, we want to look at the scriptures because we want to we care about what God thinks. We want to talk about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us because that's the way in which we have hope. 
So the church, we always have this priority and this obligation to make it about Jesus. And so Paul is encouraging in the middle of preferences and leaders that you appreciate and you maybe like over other leaders, ultimately, you you follow Jesus Christ. And under his name, we're unified. I want to shift gears again to to another scripture and and just kind of go verse by verse as I close out uh, the message. And so unity under Jesus is is crucial. So much, you know, kind of hangs on that. But here's some other practical steps uh, found in Romans 12. I I read Romans 12, 16, but I want to give give a little bit more of the context. Uh, Romans 12, 14 through 19 says this. Just kind of listen to each part of this because it's packed with a lot of helpful perspective bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty but associate with the lowly i read that earlier check out this next verse never be wise in your own sight then it goes on repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I just want to break that down into just some practical things that we can do. If you read that, sometimes when you read scriptures, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of information. And sometimes when you read the Bible, you can just be overwhelmed by like, those are interesting ideas, but I have no idea what that means. This passage actually just has some practical uh, insight. So some ways that you can protect the unity of the church and actually build bridges to people and not walls uh, can be found in here. The first is to bless people uh, instead of, of cursing them. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up thinking like, who can I curse today? Right? We don't think that. But there's a sense in which we also don't wake up thinking, who can I bless today? We're kind of neutral, right? We're neutral people most of the time. Like I'm just kind of in the middle of the road. But if you do something I don't like, oh, we're getting off to the side where I'm really upset at you. And if you do something I like, oh, well, we're getting to the side where like, you know, you're really on the same page with me today. We're feeling good. That's how relationships can be. We kind of ride in neutral, but based on what other people do to us, determines which lane we get in, right? Are we going to bless or are we going to curse? Are we going to kind of come come against uh the idea of blessing here is is that you hope it goes well for that person and notice that the blessing comes in the middle of this opportunity to curse if you have ever had anyone that disagrees with you or actually comes against you and that can happen in the church or maybe there's just a disagreement there's a sense in which we actually through the power of God, can hope it goes well for that person. We can let go of, of animosity. When people don't agree with us, we don't like it. When somebody doesn't see things how we see it, that can bother us personally. In a real way, in a real deep way, we can feel some sort of betrayal. I don't see it like I see it. And I think I, I, I'm right. And I just don't understand that. If you've ever had that, your just wheels are spinning. And inside, you're just kind of you mull on that. Why don't they see it like I see it? Why don't they agree with what I agree with? Why don't they fight for the same things I'm wanting to fight for? But this, this blessing is 
despite our differences, I, I really hope it, it goes well with them. Like, I hope the best for them. That's what it means to, to bless. You, you hope the best. I hope it, I hope it goes well. Uh, the second that Paul writes in here is, is that we, we can choose empathy as we relate to people. We can actually choose to respond in a certain way based on how people are acting and, and what they're going through. It says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Case in point, have you ever had somebody that's super excited about something that they've wanted for a really long time and they come to tell you and they're like really excited and you just, you're just not nearly as excited as they are? You ever had that? Your insides are like, that's great. <laughs> I really don't like you right now. Or the very thing that you're excited about, that's what I wanted. And again, that like that bitterness, the animosity, it can really grow in our hearts. If we're really real. You know, if, if we kind of are real with what's going on in the depths of our heart that we wouldn't tell people about, that we don't want anyone to know, but that God still sees, what happens when people come and are excited about something how do we respond? So what Paul's saying is if you want unity, you actually have to be somebody that's empathetic. When somebody is rejoicing, you shift into the gear of wanting to rejoice with them. The idea is what you care about, I'm going to care about. What you're happy about right now, I'm going to try to come alongside and be happy with you. And the opposite is true. If you're devastated and you're broken about something... Whatever I'm having to rejoice in right now in my moment, I want to see things your way. And I actually want to come alongside you. And in your hurt, I want to experience that with you out of, out of love. If Christians were to do this, choose to think the best of people and to actually hope that it goes well and to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, wouldn't people be so attracted to following Jesus? This isn't natural to us. If we're honest, we, we care about what we care about. And maybe if we really, really like that person, we'll care about what they care about. But we have to really work to get there. And Paul's saying, if you follow Jesus, you get new reflexes. As you get to know him, this can be the type of person that you are. And so what, what are some ways that you can be empathetic with people in your life right now? begins with asking, like, well, what are they going through? What are they concerned about? What are they dealing with? Just ask those questions as you're relating to coworkers, as you're relating to your family, as you're relating to your parents, as you're relating to your kids. Just ask those questions. Another thing Paul talks about is seeking peace. This idea of peace and unity, you see that again. I've already talked about verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Then 18, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live, live peaceably. There's this idea, there's just some times where unity may not be able to be experienced. And there may not be able to be peace. But the Christian is one that takes initiative to build the bridge to somebody else. If there's a relationship that's messed up, Christ followers should take the initiative to make it right. We don't wait for other people. We take the initiative. If God tells us we've done something wrong, we take the initiative to make it right. If we do that, we're choosing humility. And when we choose humility, there is nothing that helps a relationship more than humility. 
the idea of like, I don't know everything and I actually don't understand everything and I don't see everything. And because of that, I can mess up and because I can mess up. I could wrong you. And if I've wronged you, that's actually not right before God. And so I need to make that right. So what you see is that bridge of humility that works to peace. And that's how unity can, can be experienced. So Paul's saying, if the church does this, we'll have a community that's irresistible. If this is real, people will not just be able to just leave this group of people. They're just going to be so appealed to just the way people are treating each other. And then he goes on towards the end, this idea of refusing revenge. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Real briefly, this is, we all have a scorecard. And we don't pull it out in front of people. But when they do something that we don't like, we have like a plus and minus column. Each of us does. When people do stuff we don't like, in our hearts and in our minds, we're like, mm, minus. And if they do good, then we may put one in the plus. And if they do something again, it's like, oh. So at the end of the day, we, we tally this. And it's like, you know, negative two, three, you know, and each day we're just, there's this balance sheet. And what God is saying is you can't keep score. You have to be always pursuing forgiveness as you're relating to people. You got to let things go. You got to think the best. If you can't let it go, then you, you have a conversation, you talk about it. And in love, you, you try to deal with the wrong that's been done. You don't sweep things under the carpet. Because ultimately what, what Paul is saying here is keeping score does no use. Because you know what? There's so many tallies that we're not that good at math. And there's things that we miss. And their calculations are wrong. So as we have this scorecard, it's, it doesn't mean anything. But, you know, we, we don't tend to kind of think like this. It reminds me of my, my son's soccer game. He, he's playing... A soccer, he just had his last game yesterday. And it's U5, which means like you don't keep score. And that may drive you nuts. And you may really like that. We're not going to get divided over that issue. Okay? But here's the thing about this age. Do you know every single person keeps score? Everybody. I'm the coach. I keep score. Absolutely. All the kids keep score. The parents keep score. The other parents keep score. The other kids keep score. We all keep score in the game. It's decided, what's the score? If we were to keep score, it's 4-3. So hold on, because it will be 4-4 if you let another goal in. Right? And this is how it is with people. There's a sense in which... Sometimes we're not real with the fact that this is what we do. We're just kind of watching people waiting to see if they do something that we like versus what we don't like. And we do this with people that we love, let alone people that we may just come across within the church or within our other environments in which we live. What Paul's saying is you've got to let it go. Because Christianity is not based on works based on grace and we all deserve hell because of our sin and to keep score 
is saying that we have something that we actually don't. We do not have the power to save ourselves. What Paul is saying is, this is God's territory. Do not dabble and mess with the things that are just God's. You do your part to bless. You do your part to be empathetic. You do your part to live at peace. You do your part to be humble. To not be wise in your own eyes. As you do your part, God will do His. So I would encourage you, just kind of think through that your relationships within the church, your relationships at your workplace, the relationships that you have with your family, your extended family, people that you're going to be seeing at Thanksgiving, people that you're going to be seeing at Christmas, all the different lives that you intersect with. How can we be, if you're a Christ follower, how can we be people that live like this? And it starts with you. And it starts with me personally thinking that through. And so those are the next steps today as I close out the service. If you pull out your connection card, uh, you, you can see those on the back. You may want to memorize Romans 12, 16. Uh, the band's going to come up and lead us in a song. You may want to memorize Romans 12, 16. That's a great verse just to kind of think about. Or you just, based on what I've said, like what could be your role in protecting the unity of the community in which you're in? And so I encourage you to think that through. Like, what is it for you specifically based on what these scriptures uh, have talked about? One last thing. I want to mention uh, the Christmas offering as I wrap up this morning. Uh, each year we, we have a Christmas offering here at Church in the Valley. And I think you have some material in your, your program. And I just wanted to draw your attention to that so you know what that is. As I prayed earlier about the mission trip, uh, the Christmas offering is... Similar in, in just at Christmas time, we have an opportunity to, to see what we can be a part of on a global scale and what we can be a part of here locally, what we can be a part of at our church. And Christmas is really a time to to be generous, just like all the time is. But especially at Christmas, there's a sense in which there's opportunities that exist right now uh, with different ministries. And so uh, in your program, uh, you have a flyer about the Christmas offering, and I, I encourage you to, to read about those ministries that, that we're going to be giving to. Uh, they're here listed as well. Uh, you see, we, we've classified them in local, regional, and uh, global. Uh, this year, we, we partnered uh, with some of the, thing, the similar ministries that we've done in the past, but I wanted to highlight a couple more really neat opportunities uh, locally. We're going to be giving to Rebirth Homes, which is uh, human trafficking. We're going to be helping support them as they're trying to help people uh, come out of actually specific uh, the sex trafficking uh, industry. And so as a church, we really want to come alongside and help the ministry that's, that's providing that, that way out. And then we're also uh, supporting Assure Pregnancy Center, um, which is a ministry here in, in Southern California, which helps women who are, who are pregnant and, and not sure what to do. And this is really an, an alternate to, to abortion. And how do, how do we preserve life as a church? And if this is something that we believe in, uh, then we really want to give our resources to. And so uh, this... Uh, Ministry Assured Pregnancy Center provides resources, medical care, uh, and really counseling along the way so people can know how do they, uh, with the life that they have, or as they dealt with miscarriages and terrible things, how do they actually do what God wants in the middle of of hard circumstances? And so uh, each week we're going to talk a little bit more about these. We're going to share some videos. uh, But I just wanted to have you share, or not share, but begin to pray. that, that God will expand our, our faith as we give to these and also personally, like how he might want you to give. 
And then uh, our goal, this last slide here, is uh, $30,000. And uh, I, I really think just through what God's done in the past that, that we're going to be able to, to reach that and really use that uh, for good here and uh, throughout the earth as well. So just wanted to close out on that. We'll be talking about this some more, but since that was new in the program, wanted to draw that to your attention. So let's pray together as we close out. God, thank you for your, your word, which is challenging and encouraging and instructive. And it is a guide to us. We are people that need guidance. We need help. We need insight and we need hope and peace that we cannot manufacture in ourselves. And so, God, thank you that as we connect to you through your son, Jesus, we have resources that we've never had access to. So thank you for being the God that is personal as well as divine. You draw near to us and at the same time, you manage the entire creation and everything is under your hands. And so we thank you for your power. And at the same time, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. God, help us to be the community here at Church in the Valley that has unity, that has love and grace as we move toward the mission that you've given us. So God, help us to just think about that personally in our own lives and just as we do that as a group. So we ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.